want to thank our ensemble this morning. They do such a great job, and as many of you know, they've been playing at least once a month for the last couple of years, sometimes more than that, and um, really appreciate everyone's who's, everyone who's participated in that, and I especially want to thank Brad Kresge and Ethan Painter for all the work that they've put in that. And much like I mentioned with Chris a few weeks ago, our prayer, our hope, is that they continue with Pastor Mike, who will start leading next Sunday. I pray that they, everyone that you saw up here and the others you've, you've seen up here with the ensemble continue to be heavily, actively involved in our music ministry. But I just really wanted to publicly thank them for all that they have done in helping us to worship. Well, this morning, as we continue looking at what it means to be a disciple, I want you to turn again in a passage that we will be at for the entire month of February, and that is Colossians chapter 1 and verses 24 through 29. I shared with you last week in, in introducing this that we want to spend, or I want us to spend the entire month of February just trying to understand and grasp what it means that Christ lives in us. If we are to be disciples, if we are to really grow as disciples, if we are to go on to any other subjects, which we will throughout 2017, if we are to move on to other subjects in discipleship, we first must understand this biblical truth. I shared with you last week that this month we're going to focus our attention on verses 27 through 29, and more specifically, we are going to look at the last seven words of verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I shared with you last week a quote from David Platt in which David Platt said that if we as the children of God can get our hearts and our minds around these seven words. It will revolutionize our Christian lives. If we can get our hearts and our minds and our emotions around these seven words, Christ in you, the hope of glory, it can potentially revolutionize our Christian lives. And so Paul writes... Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Christ in you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Well, our first point this morning is the mystery. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Colossae that there is a mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. I don't know about you, but when I come across something like that, I think of how honored and how privileged we are as the saints of God at this time in history, at this time in the redemptive plan of God that we know something today that they didn't know fully before. We know something today that was hidden for ages and generations. And I want us to think carefully about verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now, but now revealed to his saints. Now, I don't want you to think of this in the sense that there was this great mystery out there and somehow God accidentally spilled the beans and this, was, this secret got out. It wasn't like that at all. This had always been planned. From the very beginning, God's plan of salvation, which we call his redemptive plan, has been unfolding, and we see it unfolding in the unfolding of his biblical revelation, of his revelation of who he is and what he has come to accomplish on behalf of us. And there was this truth that had always been planned to be revealed, to be proclaimed. It was a mystery in the past, but now it has been revealed. And this mystery, the mystery of the past that is now revealed is this, Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we realize when we come to this truth that God, the living God of heaven and earth, the God of Israel, is not only going to be with us, he is going to be in us. In the Old Testament, God revealed to the patriarchs, to the leaders of Israel, to the prophets of God, that he would be with them. And he proclaims again and again, I will be with you, and I will be with you, and I will be with you. And when we come to the New Testament and the birth of Christ, it is foretold by the angel Gabriel that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The God who was with them in the Old Testament is going to be with us through Jesus Christ. But now, Paul takes it to a whole new level. And he says, God is not only going to be with us, he is going to be in us. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, last Sunday, we looked at that incredible passage earlier in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 
verses 15 through 20. Perhaps the most important passage in all of the Bible on the supremacy of Christ. I encouraged you last week that we need to read and reread that part, that portion. We need to ponder it, we need to meditate on it for our entire earthly Christian lives. It is so incredible. And then I shared this with you. The image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ, the author of all creation, Jesus Christ, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, and the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, dwells in you. The living, supreme, all-authoritative Christ dwells in you. And right where you are sitting, this Christ, if you know him as Lord and Savior, he is dwelling in you inside of you. Which brings us to today and this message. I want you to ponder this truth with me this morning. Jesus died not just to forgive you of your sins, he died so that he might live in you. Jesus died, or Jesus did not just die to forgive you of your sins, he died so that he might live in you. Oh, we are so thankful for his forgiveness, that he has forgiven us of all of our sins. We sing about that, we talk about that, that he forgave us of all our sins, which is incredible and for which we will forever be grateful. But I want you to know he didn't just die to forgive you of your sins, he also died that he might live in you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the grave so that he could live his life through you. And that's the truth that I really want to communicate to you this month. He died and rose again, not just to forgive you of your sins, but so that he could also live his life through you. Just want to ask you a question. This is just kind of put on your thinking caps and think this through with me this morning. What if Jesus had forgiven our sins and then left us on our own? I just want you to think about that. As great as our forgiveness is, what if Jesus had forgiven us of all of our sins and then just said, you're on your own. You're going to live this life in your own strength and your own power. Well, I think we all understand this morning that we would have failed miserably. A big, huge part of the gospel is that he did die to forgive us but in that forgiveness he reconciled us to God and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit Christ came to live within us so we are forgiven we now have a what well, the term we love to use and it's a beautiful term we have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and, and through the means of the Holy Spirit, Jesus now literally, vibrantly lives within us. Let's take this a step further. Jesus died not only to forgive you, but also to totally transform your life. Okay, Jesus died not only to forgive you, but also to totally transform your life. He came to radically change you 
in who you are, to transform your life by his life in you. And this is such an incredible truth, that Jesus lives inside of me. He's transforming me. His life has become my life, and my goal is to so love him to be so enamored with him, to treasure him so highly and so preciously that his life literally flows through me. This, folks, I just want want you to know this is an incredible truth and I struggle, I wrestle, I agonize with whether or not I am even communicating this as well as I possibly could. This truth, this truth has changed people's lives. Throughout the history of the church, we see some of the greatest saints of the past transformed by this truth that we're looking at this morning. Augustine in the fourth century came to understand that his life was to treasure Christ above all things. That the satisfaction of his soul could only come, only come through Jesus. We think of Martin Luther, and I quoted him a few weeks ago. He said he came to the point where it was not his own power. It was not his own strength. It was Christ doing and being everything in and through him. I think of men like Oswald Chambers, J.C. Ryle, A.W. Tozer, who taught on this many years ago, hundreds of years ago, some of them. This is not new. It is not, I think, of George Mueller. George Mueller writes that he came to the point in his life that changed him as a Christian. He was already a Christian, but he said he came to that point in his life where he died to himself. Or as he puts it, I died to George Mueller. I died to my opinions. I died to my preferences. I died to my will. And then he says this. He says, I died to the world, to their approval and to their blame. And then he says this, which I absolutely love. He said, I had to die to my own brothers and sisters in Christ, to their approval and their blame. I stopped worrying about what they were saying about me, whether they were approving me or blaming me. And he says, Jesus became everything. Everything. Perhaps there is no figure, at least in recent church history, who exemplifies this better than the great missionary Hudson Taylor. The biography of Hudson Taylor is called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. It is a book I read many years ago. And the reason for the title is because when he found this spiritual secret, it changed his life. And I want you to know, this is the secret. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the secret that changed Hudson Taylor's life. He said, I came to a point in my life where I realized that the vast wealth of who Christ is and the inexhaustible, his words, the inexhaustible riches 
of what Christ has accomplished for me, it all lives in me. It all lives in me. And he has this famous quote, which I'm going to have on the screen here. This is what Hudson Taylor says. It freed me up to realize that everything I, that I did was not of my own volition or my own accord or my own personality. Christ was in me. He was living his life through me. Now, I just want you to really ponder that with me this morning. It freed me. It freed me up to realize that everything I did was not of my own volition or my own accord or my own personality. Christ was in me. He was living his life through me. Folks, that is Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret. Well, our second point this morning is inside out. One of the most important truths we must learn as a disciple of Jesus is that authentic spiritual growth and transformation happens from the inside out, not the outside in. Okay? True, authentic spiritual growth and transformation happens from the inside out. It is being so in love with Jesus. Adoring him so much, exalting him so much that your relationship with him is so intimate and you just want to worship him. You want to honor him. You want to exalt him. And as you are doing this day by day by day, it is transforming you. It is making you into a different person more than you are even realizing. And the resurrection life of Jesus Christ is flowing through you. And yet, and yet we tend to focus all of our energy on our outward behaviors. There are all kinds of things that we're supposed to do as Christians. And this is what we tend to focus our lives on. I'm as guilty as anyone. I think everyone here has, is going through this or is going through this or is going through it right now. I've got to be a better husband. I've got to be a better wife. I've got to be a better father. I've got to be a better mother. Better, better go out tomorrow and try to be that, that father I'm supposed to be. I've got to have a better dating relationship. I've got to have better quality friendships. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. Because if I don't, I feel guilty. I've got to get involved in ministries at church and outside the church. I've got to be involved in more small group Bible studies. I, and so I've got to do and I've got to do and I've got to do. And we're trying to do all these things. And a lot of times, we end up being stressed out and burned out because we're trying to do it on our own. Now, please, 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 please do not misunderstand me. Everything I just said, are, they're all good things. But somehow I want to communicate to you that they're not something we try, they're not things we go out there and try to do them. They are things that are the outflow of a deep, abiding, loving relationship with Christ 
who helps us to prioritize which of those things we can be involved with at this stage or season of our life and which things maybe we can't be involved in. He frees us up to say yes and, oh, praise God, he frees us up to say no, doesn't he? He frees us up to say no sometimes because it's letting his life flow through us. And I just want all of us to think this morning it is a profound life-changing time in our lives when we come to understand that we can't live the Christian life on our own, we must let Jesus live it through us. It is life-changing when we come to that point where it's not about me. It's about my walk with him and his life overflowing through me. It is only Christ in you it is only Christ in you that empowers you and enables you to live a life that pleases God. It is only Christ in you that empowers you and enables you to live a life that pleases God. And so my challenge to all of us this morning is let his life overflow through you. Let his life overflow through you. So it's not you as the proverbial chicken with his head cut off out there trying to do all of these things. Busy, 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 busy. But it's letting him live his beautiful, glorious life through you. Let me say this a different way. Let me come at it from a different angle. Jesus does not desire to improve you. He desires to transform you. Jesus does not desire to improve you. He desires to transform you. I just want to say this morning, Jesus doesn't want a new improved you. He wants a changed you. Now, we have grown up in an advertising culture where everything is new and improved. And this has been going on for as long as there has been advertising. There is a product, it's a good product, but they add to it and it becomes new and improved. We buy an iPhone 5 and then they come out with the iPhone 6. Then they have the iPhone 6 Plus and then they have the iPhone 7. And there's nothing wrong with that, that's just the way it is. And that's how we tend to look at our Christian lives, boy, I got to improve in this area and I got to improve in that area. He doesn't want an improved you. He wants a transformed you. He wants you surrendered, as we talked last month, surrendered, yielded, submitting to that power that lies within you. And so I want you to know this morning, I want to give you a little bit of freedom. You can stop reading those self-help books even those Christian self-help books. I'm not anti-self-help books. Don't misunderstand me. But a lot of times we're just trying to improve our own flesh. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? You're just trying to improve your own abilities, your own human abilities, your own flesh, rather than really focusing on Christ. I really believe one of the great schemes of the devil, one of the great schemes of the devil is to keep you from understanding the power that lies within you. In our Wednesday evening Bible study, 
uh, class, our Bible Institute class that we're having with men. We're going through, as I've mentioned before, victory and spiritual warfare. And oh, that class has so emphasized that Satan does not want you to understand your identity in Christ and he does not want you to understand your power in Christ. He will, please listen to me this morning, he will do everything he can to just keep you busy. When you're busy as a Christian, as a Christian, when you hit those points where you're just busy and you feel stressed out and you feel overwhelmed, he has you right where he wants you. It's exactly what Satan wants from you. He knows you now belong to Christ, but he's just going to let you do as much as you can in your own flesh, in your own strength, in your own power, and never really fully come to realize this dynamite that lives within you. I just want you to understand, Christianity is not a new ethic or way to live, okay? It's not like, okay, here's what it means to be a Christian. You have a good marriage, you have a clean-cut family, you go to church, you dress nice, you do good things. All those things are good. Again, please don't misunderstand me. But I wonder sometimes if this isn't my own term, I just made this up the Mormonism of Christianity. I wonder if we aren't just trying to be Mormons. And what I mean by that is, that's how people tend to see Mormonism. Wow, they they have these really nice marriages, or at least appear to. They have nice kids, nice clean-cut kids. Um, They drink milk, they try to live good lives. And I can remember... Forgive me here, but I can remember seeing Mitt Romney and his family at one point where they had a family gathering and they didn't have any alcohol. They just had chocolate milk and white milk. And, and you know, what a nice family they have. And they all were so good-looking and so well-dressed. Folks, all of those things are nice things, but I want you to understand that's not what Christianity is. I read, a, or I saw, I should say, on YouTube, not too long ago, about some famous person who converted to Mormonism. And that's why they converted. They said, boy, they have such nice marriages. They have such nice families. They have clean-cut kids. They do nice things. But let me tell you, you can do all those things and still go to hell. I just want you to understand that. You can do all of those things and still know nothing of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I want us to have good marriages. I want us to have nice kids and to do right things. But what I want to convey to you is that's the outflow. It is the outflow of your abiding, intimate relationship with Christ. You let him control you, live through you, and all of those are simply wonderful benefits, but it must be Christ. And it must start with Christ. He must be everything in our lives. Let me try to put it this way. Christianity is the outliving of the indwelling Christ. Christianity is the outliving of the indwelling Christ. So let's think this morning. What happens when Christ 
becomes the fountain from which all of our actions overflow. What happens in a Christian's life when Christ becomes that living water, that fountain that just keeps flowing from which all of our actions overflow? I believe our minds begin to change. Our hearts begin to change. Our emotions begin to change. Our actions begin to change. Not because we're out there trying to do it, but because he's living through us. And we go do all those things in his strength, in his power, for his glory, because we love him more than we love life itself. And whether we're going through good times or bad times, whether we are going through times of blessing or times of great suffering, we're in love with him. It doesn't matter. Think of how important this truth is. It changes verses for you. Let's take one example. Romans 12.2. Many of you know this verse very well. Paul says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Renewing your mind isn't just saying, boy, today I'm going to think different thoughts. Today I'm going to memorize so many verses that I'll just, it will be imprinted on my mind. Nothing wrong with scripture memorization as long as, as long as it is causing you to fall in love with Jesus. But When we think of the renewing of our minds, it isn't just dwelling on certain truth principles, as important as that is. Renewing of our minds is having the mind of Christ within us. You cannot understand Romans 12, 2 fully unless you've read Romans chapters 1 through 11. Unless you've read Romans chapters 6 through 8, where Paul says that we have died to the flesh so that his life might live through us. That great section in Romans chapters 6 through 8. Let me put it this way. The great saints of the past used to call this whole thing we're talking about abiding in Christ. That's the great statement from the past. I'm abiding in Jesus. I am finding my rest, my peace, my hope, by just daily abiding in him. If you abide in Jesus, the one who is holy will produce holiness in you. If you abide in Jesus, the one who is love will produce love in you. If you abide in Jesus, the one who is righteousness will produce righteousness in and through you. If you abide in Jesus, the one who is peace, will help you to experience that peace that passes all understanding. If you abide in Jesus, the one who is God's perfect will, and please understand, Jesus is God's perfect will. If you abide in Jesus, then the one who is God's perfect will will help you to discern the will of God for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. His life in you will so transform your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Whatever you are struggling with this morning,
Christ is your hope. Whatever trial, whatever time of testing, whatever temptation you may be wrestling with this morning, Christ is your hope. His life in you is your victory. So look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ and draw upon his life and his riches. Let Jesus transform you from the inside out. We're going to close with a song that I really sense our church is coming to love. It is the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. I want you to do two things as they lead us in song in just a minute. First, I want you to really focus on the words. Great words. Great biblical and theological words in this song. Second, I want you to think about this. You are not holding on to Christ. He is holding on to you. Day by day, it isn't you trying to hold on. No, I want you to find your rest and your joy in this. He is holding on to you. And he is holding on to you because he lives in you. Let's pray together. Father, oh, we beg of you, Father, help us to understand the vast wealth of who Christ is. Help us with Hudson Taylor to understand the inexhaustible riches of what Christ has accomplished for us and then, then, to live out the revolutionary truth that Jesus lives in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in his name we pray. Amen.